So uh, everyone, welcome to episode 16 of today's podcast, where we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive today for, uh, for, for episode 14. We did a little bit of a history on multiplayer and the multiplayer uh, kind of how it became to be from early 19, what was it, Tara? You, uh, it was like the 80s, the 70s or whatever? Um, 1960s and 70s on. Yeah, the 60s and 70s on. So today we're jumping ahead uh, to December of 1982. Um, so I remember that you had mentioned that you were really wondering about the game E.T. off of the Atari. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the the infamous worst video game ever created in the history of gaming. And that is exactly what we're actually going to talk about today. E.T., the extraterrestrial video game on the for the Atari 2600. And the infamy that came along with it. So, yeah, I, I remember that you said that you, you really wanted to learn about it. So here we go. We're going to learn about it real quick, real fast. So E.T., the extraterrestrial video game, was made back in 1982 as one of, a, one of the first adventure video games based off of the movie. And they, uh, it was published, of course, by Atari for the Atari 2600. It was also based on the, the film, and uh, the, there was a designer by the name of Howard Scott Warshaw uh, who basically kind of led or designed the game. You know, the game was very basic for its time frame. It was just to run around and guide E.T. itself through various screens of a cubic world uh, to collect a couple pieces of his interplanetary phone so that way he could call home or phone home, as he always would say, uh, in the movie. And basically the game was supposed to be an adaptation of the film itself. And a lot of people thought it would make a f just a buttload of money just simply because the movie was so awesome, everything was so great. Uh, although here's where everything started. Just the idea of the video game is where it started to really drop off because negotiations started... Uh, to make the game at the end of July of 82, giving the, you know, the designer, Warshaw, only five and a half weeks to develop the game in time for its actual release for Christmas season of 82. Um, I don't know if anybody knows anything about video games, but even, even for back then, the video game itself was... like it, it, the, the video games itself, like even back then, the, even some of the most basic shit... Five and a half, that's that's not enough time. That is, you need way... That's a ridiculously low amount of time. Yes, even for games back then. So, uh, uh, just kind of a little bit of background. It's it's technically like an upside, uh, it's, it's technically an adventure game from a top-down perspective. There are, you know, you can definitely check out the Wikipedia page, which is basically where I'm getting a lot of my information from. And one of the, there's uh, a really, really good documentary that follows kind of everything and, and it builds the story and it talks about a lot of this stuff. I would highly, highly recommend it. But basically, you know, like I was saying, that the game is to collect the ability to phone home so that way E.T. can get back to his spaceship and get the fuck out of Dodge. There is a time limit that, that you actually have. And, uh, I'm, you know, taking a look here, you actually only get three lives, a fourth life is achievable if you find if you found basically a, a small little thing that you could uh, achieve that fourth life with the game is actually divided into six different environments each representing a different setting from the film uh, just to kind of go along with it to accomplish the objective of the game 
ET uh, into the wells. Once all the items are collected, the player must levitate ET out of all of them, and then basically you win the game. Uh, the game, yeah. So it, it was. I'm going down your Wikipedia page. You recommended. Ah, uh, uh, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the game, you know, Gosh, what? It just looks horrible. Yeah, but again, then again, this was the this was the graphics of the time frame. Like these are. Uh, oh, what's that one game called? There's a. Space Jumper or something like that, I think it's called. Space... Um, space Invaders? Not Space Invaders. A moon... I don't know why I went straight to Space Invaders. No, not moon. Uh, moon game for Atari. Moon Patrol. So does... Look up Moon Patrol. Um, so does this game, does it like follow the the movie at all like in any sense in today's standards not even close not even close whatsoever as i mean it like like i said if you look at a lot of the if you look a lot if you look at a lot of the pictures that are on here this was very very early 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 on in oh, the yeah. video game making and these were the graphics of the time like i said if you look at moon patrol that that's a game that I actually used to play at my babysitters when I was actually uh, a very young child, and she had the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. These are the graphics, and these this is the way the games were actually built, and this was the standard. This was the gold standard for games back then. Um, Yet it was a massive bomb. Well, it's a massive bomb because of all of the things we're actually about to talk about. Uh, so basically, with the massive success of the movie itself in June of 1982, Steve Ross, the chief executive of Atari, wanted to work with Steven Spielberg to acquire the license to build a video game. Late June, Warner announced its exclusive worldwide rights to the market and basically, uh, you know, for the coin operated in the consoles based on the movie. But, you know, there's not, there's some kind of debate about what's going on and stuff like that, it appears here. But basically, when Ross thought that uh, what he had thought about making the ET-based video game, Atari replied, I think it's a dumb idea. We've never really made an action game out of a movie. An, arca an arcade game based on ET property had also been planned, but it was deemed to be impossible given the short deadline that they have. Uh, basically, once negotiations were, were completed, Warshaw, the, the designer guy, on July 27th of 82, was commissioned to actually uh, develop the video game as a developer. Uh, Karshaw informed him that Spielberg asked the developer hard Warshaw specifically uh, asked for Warshaw specifically and that the development needed to be completed by September 1st to meet the production schedule for the Christmas holiday. So July, August, and then September, July 27th is when it was f commissioned. He had July from, he basically had all of August to make the game and then September 1, it had to start the production schedule so that way it could be released for the Christmas holiday. Uh, the Warshaw had spent more than a year working on a consecutive development schedules for games, you know, seven months for Yar's Revenge, six months for the Raiders of Lost Ark. He accepted the offer based on the challenge of completing a game in such a short time frame and because it was Steven Spielberg asking him to do something. I mean, I'm not going to lie, but with Spielberg... <laughs> 
if back in the 80s, Spielberg was like, hey, Jared, I want you to do something. Be like, you got it, Mr. Spielberg. What do you want me to do? That's impossible, <laughs> but I will try it. Uh, so, so, yeah. So it's completely, it's absolutely understandable how this this was a huge financial failure for them then. Yeah, uh, basically, how quick they had to make it. just to kind of put this in perspective, the game was about 53 to 66 million dollars in today's mm. yeah that's what they had paid to purchase the license for this game to make it in under a month Would, that that leaves me wondering had atari not come back from that that you know <laughs> that massive burden where would our gaming industry be today I'm not sure, but this was this was a small little blip into um, into the video gaming industry. Like this is this is one of the. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of video games out there during that time frame that really made it big, and that really emphasized what video games could do and what they could be. But this is this is just one of those colossal failures that just from the get go was pretty much doomed to fail completely. Um, I you know I, I can't really say much about Atari and how I I don't have that much knowledge of how well they do or what they what they could do during their time frames, but I will just say this: I don't know, I I don't know why they decided to do this, and with one month to make it by a Christmas release, like they really wanted to do something special. I just I don't see why they decided to try this this hard to push for something. You know what I mean? It it just it, it kind of makes me think of oh you you know the you know the test is coming up you've known for weeks and now you're waiting until the last minute to study for it it, it just kind of it kind of reminds me of that but it's it's more than likely an ego situation you know if he had pulled this off and it turned out great could you imagine the publicity that would have resulted from it oh hell yeah oh yeah I mean it would have it would have changed the standards for you know, production permanently. Mm -hmm. So uh, for his time, Howard Scott Warshaw, the, the developer, was offered $200,000 and an all-expenses-paid vacation to Hawaii in compensation. Um, basically, you know, he, he told them to arrive, uh, Kesar, the, the guy who commissioned him, told him to arrive at the San Jose airport a few days later to have a meeting with uh, Steven Spielberg about the game. Warshaw, the developer, used those actual days to design the structure of the game, segmented the concept into four different ideas, you know, the world, the objective, how to achieve the objective, and then any obstacles that you have. Uh, he was really excited to make a game based off of a movie that he actually enjoyed, because I don't know how many people never enjoyed E.T. I mean, even as a child, the, the movie scared me, but I still loved it. Um, but basically, no. he envisioned... No, I did not like it. You didn't actually like it? No, it scared the hell out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I have watched it once my entire life. I think I might be the only person who can boast this. I have watched E.T. one time my whole life. Scared the ever-loving out of me through most of it. And then I bawled my eyes out at the end and vowed to never watch it again. Well, that's like, uh, that's like me with uh, Gremlins. I watched it once, even as a, even as like a, I think I was like 13 or something like that when it maybe came out. And, uh, I said, nope, never again. We'll never watch that movie again. Too much for me. That it was just too dark and, and, and just, uh, no, I don't like it. <laughs> Didn't like it at all. 
<laughs> and it's like I told you, there's that one kitchen scene, and they're playing uh, the particular Christmas song of Do You Hear What I Hear? <laughs> to this day, when that comes on the radio or anything, I instantly want to go past it. That that one song brings back that whole ugh kind of sensation. So back to back to the development. Uh, basically, the developer Warshaw d- was used those time, you know, the the couple of days that he had before he actually met with Steven Spielberg to de- to design a concept of the game. Um, he uh, Warshaw then conceived that ET would assemble a special phone to phone home and arrive at a special landing site to achieve his goal. You know, f- build the phone go to where he needs to go to, and then call home. There's uh, obstacles that uh, he had to build for to make the game a success or to succeed in the game. And he actually experienced difficulties when taking into account the time constraints and the tech- technical limitations of the Atari 2600. But of course, he was inspired by the movies uh, to implement antagonists that would chase the alien. Feeling more adversity was needed, he felt that the game apparently needed to be harder for some reason. He included a time limit for the players to accomplish his goal, and pits were devised as an element to hide the pieces of the phone as well in the game's world. So basically, he took the game, thought it was too easy, made it even harder, and then made it even harder again. He just—he really just kept digging that hole. Yeah, he uh, in, in today's uh, if it could be likened to Halo, basically he started off with just the the whatever and was like, yeah, we're gonna take this to elite legendary status right off the bat. This is gonna be the base setting of the game. Um, when he and Atari, you know, presented this design to Spielberg, Spielberg didn't like it apparently at all. Uh, he instead asked him to create a game similar to Pac-Man believing that the concept was too derivative of a common game design, uh, Warsaw proceeded to just go, no, fuck that, this is my game, I'm going to build it. Uh, you know, And he thought that it would actually capture the, the, the mindset of the game, like, hey, this is going to be what I really like about the game. This is, I, I think that it's going to tell the story of the movie itself within this game. But I mean, just, I know that if you take a look at a lot of the screenshots of this game or even the time frame of it, you know, you got to really remember this is not, this is in the pixels. You know, like if you look at it, ET looks like a little mini kind of green giraffe with a backwards head. You know, <laughs> like it is a little creepy looking. It is a little creepy looking, but it you know, like for this for this time frame, like the imagination. This is back when Dungeons and Dragons was was like you know the the main mode of how do we express ourselves? How do we the imagination, like putting graphics into a game and what computers could do was very, very minimalistic compared to what we can totally do now, where if it's like, oh, we're going to base a movie off of a, a game off of a movie, um, you can do amazing things. Like uh, the, the Assassin's Creed video game versus the Assassin's Creed um, movies, I shouldn't say movie, the, the, the Assassin's Creed movie, like they took something Oh, sorry, I hear sirens in the background. Um, (laughs) The military is coming to lock us down. (laughs) So, I I mean, if you take a look at the video games Assassin's Creed and how they're played and the whole timeline of it, and then you take 
the movie Assassin's Creed, it's a very nice adaptation. It's not it's not the Assassin's Creed. It's not one, two, or fifteen that they have. By the way, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I know that you don't video game Terra, but mm. watch the trailer for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It it blew my I get, I woke up, found the trailer, watched the trailer, instantly woke up with shivers all down my spine because of how awesome the game is. This is one of the very few games I'm actually going to pre-order. So just throwing that out there. One of the very few games that I will go, yes, pre-order. So, you know, this game, the, the game itself, just, I don't know how these pixel, it, it takes a lot of, a lot of, a lot of imagination, really, to, to take this game and go, I'm making it just like the movie and seeing it as a concept of the movie. Um, so basically, Atari anticipated huge sales, massive sales, just because, you know, the popularity of the film as well as how stable the game industry was back in the 1982. But of course, due to limitations, Atari decided to skip audience testing for the game. That is a huge phase right now. Yeah, I think that really nipped him. You know, jumping over something so crucial. Oh, and it's such a shame. It really is. Because, I mean... Hearing you, hearing you go on about it, and and you're doing it passionately too. <laughs> it makes me wonder: had the time really, really been put into it, had there not been such a tight noose around his neck for completion, how great could that have been? I mean, it it could have ended up being one of the most epic games to hit the market. Well, it, it's like any well fleshed out video game. There have been, uh, I mean, Final Fantasy. I mean, just look at Final Fantasy. Very, very well written. Uh, even for like a PlayStation One game, I, I mean, look at how rabid, how rapidly passionate people are about that game, and the remakes, and the remakes, and the remakes. I mean, people. And there's so many of them. People love it because of it's such a well fleshed out story. They took their time with it. That's it. Actually, has a plot that is easy to follow too. Mm-hmm. So, the reason why they skipped audience testing is because they had fallen into a false sense of success because of the you know the Pac-Man, the, you know what Steven Spielberg was kind of talking about earlier. They, there was a there was a false sense of security because the console version of Pac-Man was so massively successful. You know, uh, it, it it was very commercially successful, even though there was poor, you know, the, the critics were like, yeah, it sucks. But then everyone was like, no, this is badass. And I mean, look at how, look at how popular Pac-Man is today. So, it's addictive. It is. I remember even as a kid, it was addictive. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they, they basically fell into a very false sense of security that, no, we don't really need to do all these extra things. Look at this well-polished game that we put out. We can do the same thing with this. It, you know, it, it's it's kind of a lot like going, oh, well, that's Donald Driver's kid. Donald Driver was a wide receiver for the Packers. Oh, well, Donald Driver Jr. is going to be amazing at it. No, maybe he's better at baseball. So, you, you know, it, you can't... Yeah, you can't really copy-paste a lot of this stuff. Um so they ended up doing what they needed to do. They finished up the video game and it, it was done, you know, on time. Uh, the The public was was ready. They were waiting on pins and needles uh, for the release. It was a huge Christmas gift that everybody wanted. 
you know, this was it was definitely the thing to have. This was definitely the highlight of 1982's Christmas. This was going to be the shit. Uh, in December of 82, the New York Times actually reported that the game based on the... The video games based on movies, specifically E.T., would become, quote, an increasingly profitable source, end quote, for video game development. Uh Mm -hmm. At first, retailers ordered more supplies than what was expected to be sold, kind of like a lot, you know, but Atari received an increasing number of order cancellations as new competitors entered the market, an event the company had not anticipated a guy by the name of John Hubner and William Christner of InfoWorld. And InfoWorld is, uh, okay, let's see here. It's a, ooh, what is it? A, I think it's basically like a, a magazine or something like that. Attributed the cancellations to the changes of Atari's initiate, initiated in its relationship to its distributors. So basically Atari kind of changed the way it does things with the people who distribute games. And there might have been kind of a hiccup. So on November 1st of 1982, Atari informed them that their contracts were canceled and the exclusive deal would be established with select distributors instead of just specific people. And then the guys from InfraWorld believed that the action prompted retailers to cancel a lot of orders, which Atari, uh, which Atari had not properly tracked. So when ET, met, uh, ET did actually meet with very early success commercially to begin with, it was among the top four bill, uh, top four in the Billboard magazine's top 15 video games in December of 82 and January of 83. The game did sell 1.5 million units. However, between two and a half and three and a half million cartridges were unsold. And one retailer did say that mostly gla- grandmothers bought the, gra- the games because of word of mouth and tr- children were actually preferring the game Pitfall. So it's it's technically not that the game itself sucked. It's just that the company overhyped it. I don't think that the game sucked overall. Um, I think that it was very overhyped to begin with, just simply because um, with a lot of the changing environments that happened, I, I believe that when everything kind of went awry, it was like, oh, shit. But then again, you know, this was before the internet. This was before, you know, this was when you had to read a newspaper. You know, little Timmy and little Sarah aren't going to go, oh, daddy, this video game is coming out that we want. You know, you know, Tim Sr. is going to read, oh, they're making an Atari video game. That's weird. Okay. Uh, What's going on in Japan? You know, like it's, (laughs) you know, so I I don't think that it, it, it was one of those things that, um, I don't think it was that the kids were in expecting because this was the time of word of mouth. This is, this is when word of mouth meant, meant everything. You're like, Hey, Tim, uh, Tim, who runs the auto body shop down on second street, go to that guy. He'll fix your crap. He'll, he'll do it for cheap. You know, let him know that Joe sent you, you know, you go on over there and like, Hey, Joe told me you're real good. Oh yeah. I fixed Joe's Jeep. You know, I'll go ahead and fix yours up and I'll give you a 5% discount. Cause he sent, you know, he sent me on over, you know, that's the way it worked. It's not, you can't just go, you couldn't go on Google and read the, the five-star reviews of Joe's thing. You would, it was just, oh, you know, five people told you Joe was good and that Sally sucked. All right, well, I'm going to go to Joe's. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the guys from InfraWorld basically uh, commented that a large number of produced cartridges may have resulted in the excess inventory. Uh, no matter what, 
even though ET was commercially successful. Uh, again, remember, word of mouth can only get you so far, especially during the holiday seasons, and retailers still stated that its sales, figure, its sales figures were not met with the expectations. Um, back before the digital age and when a lot of things were coming out, you know, the parents were going to listen to their kids too. You know, it's like, what does every kid want? Oh, I want a red rider. You know, the, 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 yeah, yeah, you, you shoot your eye out. Kid. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can drop the F bomb and get soap in your mouth after changing a tire in the middle of winter. Yeah. Definitely don't lick poles in the winter kids. I mean, we are coming to summer. Go ahead and lick the poles now, even though you probably shouldn't because of the Corona, but still don't lick thing. Don't lick random things is the key to this story. Don't, don't lick random things. Here's the moral. <laughs> yeah, here's the moral of the story. Don't lick things. Don't lick things. That's, that's probably what, uh, that, that's probably what, what Spielberg was hoping, you know, Warshaw wasn't doing was licking things and he was probably licking too many things he shouldn't have, which is why he got this game sucked. Um, even though they had lower than expected, well, it's a little overhype, even though they did have lower than expected sale figure combined with excess inventory, uh, there's, it, it, it had that negative effect. You know, you went into the red, so they constantly started discounting the prices. According to Ray Kassar, the dude from Atari, about three and a half to 4 million cartridges were produced were actually sent back to the company as unsold inventory and customer returns. A popular rumor was that there were more cartridges produced than there were actual Atari units in existence. No. That's one of the rumors that they have. That's a, it's a popular rumor and it does have a little asterisk by it. So, you know, uh, it says it's number 29. So there, there definitely has to be something, some truth to that. Uh, according to a, a gentleman by the Lyle Reigns, most likely the origin of this rumor was that the Atari employees at the time widely believed that though they had in, uh, that though the installed base of the 2600 was over 20 million, the number of actual units that were still active were less than the number of cartridges that were produced. Uh, even though the, despite the sales figures and the quantity of unsold merchandise, coupled with how expensive the movie license was and the large number of returns, it did make E.T. a major financial failure for Atari. Even as recently as 2004, a lot of cartridges are still very common and offered at very low prices for that game. I mean, I don't know if you've ever walked into a used gaming store. There's one here in town. I was... It's been a long, long time since I've had that, that uh, option. We don't, we don't exactly get that where I'm located. <laughs> well, it's, I... Uh, Really, not really, <laughs> really, you know, I, I don't know what kind of town you live in. Uh, you know, if, it, if it's anything like mine and we're, we're at a pretty healthy population, I'm not sure if you're like in a little podunk or, you know, if you're off the beaten path there, but, um, if you do get a chance, go into a, a, a used video game store and not like a, not like a GameStop or a gaming, uh, like, like a game, fuck GameStop. I hate GameStop. Go into like a little uh -huh. mom and pop shop that specializes. Cause we have one here in town. And I'll find like, uh, you know, Nintendo 64 controllers or Nintendo 64 games selling for like 40, 50 bucks a pop, uh, where ET could probably be like five, 10 bucks, you know, something nice and cheap. Okay. Yeah. 
I mean, Nintendo. Uh, I did, but I did actually buy a uh, Nintendo Game Boy and a Pokemon Yellow not too long ago, and uh, from oh. from the shop, and it still was like a hundred bucks. See, and I've told the tale of the uh, Game Boy to my kiddo, and she just kind of looks at me like I've got lobsters crawling <laughs> on my ears. Like, really, mom? It's like, yeah, and our phones used to be attached to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's really hard to kind of go into depth with the the older gaming units and stuff like that. Even when the handhelds came out, because that was like, oh my god, that was the coolest thing in the whole world. I I can actually take it with me. Yeah, I... and I think I think kids her generation just kind of take that for granted because her phone goes everywhere with her, and she has full access to anything she wants. Oh, if if Nintendo wasn't so hardcore, I would have had a, I would have been able to play on one of my old Android phones. I would have play, been able to play an emulator of Pokemon Red, and I wouldn't have had to go out and bought that secondhand Game Boy game. I think it was a, I bought a, game, a 3DS, and then a, the 3DS version of Pokemon Yellow. But I, like, yeah, it, the phones are amazing. I for a little while there, I beat half of Pokemon Red on an emulator but then because of all the nintendo games they have this source code that if it's not running on the actual console it breaks ah okay now see that's that's something i know now <laughs> yeah finding it finding a pokemon emulator that works all the way through is is a very very rare find with now how why is it that it doesn't want to perform nintendo's code the way that they coded everything, they made sure that you have to buy the game. Um, oh, those cheeky bastards. They still want to make money off of it. I mean, with as popular as it is, I mean, you were there at the beginning. I don't know how much Pokemon you watch, but I was there from the, you know, God, it sounds so old. I was there from the beginning. I was, it's, I started. It's a little bit behind my generation. Uh, Pokemon was more my little sister. Okay. That, by the time it came about, my generation had been moving on to other things. Yeah. Like when Pokemon first came out, like I watched the TV series and then they made the video game. And then I got the video game. I beat the video game a couple of times. I got, I got Pokemon yellow. I got red. I got blue. I didn't, I stopped with green because I thought buying a, a fourth cartridge for the same game was kind of dumb, but yeah, they like, and and then they moved to Pokemon Color, where the game was a little bit more colorful for the Game Boy Color, and oh, it just it it fucking blew up. Like it, <laughs> there was movies being animated left and right. Yeah, it, it so it was. But if you... no, I do recall some of the movies when I was babysitting her. I do recall her her watching some of the movies, and I I kind of dazed in and out on them. <laughs> I'll admit it, I did. I kind of dazed in and out because, like I said, it just, I don't know what it was. Pokemon never really grabbed at my attention. No. And I, I kind of attribute that to the fact that I I grew up watching actual anime mm. in Japanese. Oh, so yeah. by the time we were stateside again and Pokemon was getting really big, it just didn't grab at me the way, you know, like Dragon Ball Z and stuff like that had. Well, didn't you say that you were in Japan with your with your mom because of the military? Yeah. Yeah, we lived in Masawa um, for four years just south of Tokyo. I'm surprised that it wouldn't have grabbed you because that's where it hit 
that Pokemon was a huge success in Japan. Like it still is a massive success over there. Oh gosh. Yeah. It, and it is, Oh, it has got such a vast following to it. I have very dedicated followers too, Mm -hmm. but I think for myself, it just, it, the time didn't hit quite right. Um, Pokemon hadn't quite hit its popularity while I was living there. It was still, you know, like I said, the Dragon Ball Z type stuff or, um, Sailor Moon, you know, those were the real big things. When I came stateside, since Pokemon hadn't really blown up in Japan yet, it hadn't really blown up stateside yet. Nope. I think we had, we had been back in the U S for maybe six years or so before half the people I knew figured out what Dragon Ball Z was. And then boom, right behind it, here came the Pokemon craze. Yep. I think a lot of, I think a lot of our, our influential animes start with Japan just simply because Pokemon was such a huge success. Sailor Moon was such a huge success. Dragon Ball Z is such a huge success. Um, we're getting a little sidetracked though, Missy. We gotta, you know, jump back to it here. Uh, yeah, we, to do that. <laughs> we we could we could probably do a whole other couple podcasts on anime and Dragon Ball Z and maybe I could teach you a little bit about Pokemon <laughs> if if people really like these episodes. But uh, there was actually a very critical response. Um, this is kind of where we talk about how people people didn't like it. Well, even though the remo- the reviews of the movie were actually very very positive and very very high because the movie was fantastic, the game was actually received negatively by a lot of critics with common complaints about the plot, the gameplay, and what you were talking about, the visuals. Uh, New York's magazine, New York, the magazine, had a guy by the name of Nicholas Pelleggi described it as a loser when compared to other games that Atari could have released like Donkey Kong or Frogger. Uh, A lot of other video games, uh, video games called the game really for kids, the little ones, uh, you know, so it's 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 not being received the best. A lot of people have a lot of very vulgar, fa- uh, a lot of very vulgar things to say about it. How it's very primitive. It's dull. It's a very disappointing. Disappointing overall. Even though the game received some positive reviews, uh, you know, like the Miami Herald actually described it as a difficult game to learn and play, but believed that uh, it's worth actually putting your time into the grind. Um, you know, there's, there's some people that are like, Hey, it's okay. But the overwhelming vast majority of it is you're terrible. It's garbage. I mean, even in 1984, there was a, a magazine called Softline where its readers actually named the game, the second worst Atari program of 1983 after Congo Bongo, uh, another game that they released. Yeah, so critics, uh, critics, uh, you know, were really upset about the game, about the repetitiveness of falling down these holes. Because remember, you got to go into the holes, these pitfalls, to actually do things. And uh, PC, the, a guy by the name of Emiro Townsend of PC World, uh, you know, discussed the game actually with a group and found a universal dislike for the pits that ET has to fall into, setting it as quote monotonous end quote. So there's a lot of a lot of real negativity that's going on in the games. The people are saying it's very boring. It's super super repetitive, and you know basically the game sucked. You could never finish it. Um, Yet there were so many other games after it that mm-hmm. 
were exceedingly repetitive. Mm-hmm. And did Mario not have to go down pipe hole after pipe hole after pipe hole? Yeah, but the world's the the differences in between Mario and what he was doing in those pipe holes and. You know, I mean, each time he went to a pipe hole, it wasn't just the, oh, here's a bunch of coins, just jump up and down and get them all. You know, there were actual side quests. The pipe thing was was very, yes, it was very repetitive, but think about all the different things that happened every time he went down a pipe. You never knew what you were getting. So the E.T. game was definitely way more detailed than it's given credit for. Yes. Uh, well, not detailed, but... It, Mario, in the sense of the pitfalls, I mean, if you actually go to the Wikipedia page, there is a, um, there's a picture of the pitfall where it's just basically a U shape. Oh, yeah. okay. So, well, that seems... Okay, I see. I see what you're talking yeah. about. Okay. So there's the... Yeah, that looks, uh, that looks a little droll. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you go back to up to the top, um, you actually you're looking at a field and it looks like there's little wells that you can walk into they're darker green than the lighter green i'm assuming it's grass but from what i gather with the game you walk into the pit the pit is like the the gray drab picture there where he's walking towards a thing and then that's what you do you just investigate these holes until you find the things um so it, it was meant was you know basically all of a sudden it was it just really started to suck you know, in a lot of the published materials that were written about a decade after its initial release, E.T. has been universally panned by critics and is often part of the list of the worst video games that are ever made. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Riley who ranked it number one in a list of 20 worst video games in Electronic Gaming Monthly. Uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly, if a lot of people don't know, used to be like the go-to magazine back in the day for video games. Uh, so when they basically come out and said, this this video game is XYZ, it's fucking phenomenal, it was pretty phenomenal. Where they said, this game sucked, typically, normally, it sucked. So, I mean, they ranked it as number one in the worst games ever. So that, that kind of cites a lot about it there. That would definitely seal the doom of any game. Mm-hmm. If if such a popular magazine deemed it to be just horrific, it wouldn't matter if the game was actually good or not. People were going to listen to this popular magazine. Yeah. I, I mean, this this was a couple years later after the fact. You know, this, this was, you know, uh, oh, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're doing it. Hey, you know, we're doing a list of all the shittiest video games that were ever, ever made. Um, Okay. Yeah, so that that's what that was. It was a list after the fact. So there was a lot of negativity. It really it really bombed. I mean, later on down the line, just you know, I mean, a lot of people attribute it to that impossibly tight schedule. Uh, you know, that some people have have basically stated that this game, you know, like you were saying earlier, one month to make it. I mean, back back in the back in the day, a couple months to make a game wasn't that hard. But to do it in such a small time frame, you know, one or two months is that's stretching you thin. You know, it it takes a couple of years. It takes like a year now to build a game back then. Like I was saying, you know, six, seven months to build a game wasn't that hard. But then you got to remember what you were working with back then. Yeah. So and I guess maybe that's why some people would look at it and, you know, think, well, why why couldn't you do it in that time frame? Look, the graphics are crap. Mm hmm. Without even taking into consideration all the other, you know, mechanisms that go into actually making a game what you're going to be taking home to play on. Yeah. 
it, it's not just graphics. There's so much more to it. Mm-hmm. And then this is back in the day when Channel 3 was your video gaming channel. <laughs> None of this... Oh my gosh. <laughs> None of this input audio, input one, HDMI two. No, this was you switch it to Channel 3, unscrew the little thing, screw in your video game, and boop, there you go. You got your Atari hooked up. Um, and you didn't have a clicker. No, 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 no. You had to get up and walk through five miles of shag carpet <laughs> to turn the knob on your television. <laughs> I've got about I've got a little half trailer here, so I would say that uh, I've got a mile I've got about a mile of ha- uh, shag carpet, which is I, so I've got the shag carpet here. It feels real good on the feetsies, you know, in winter when it's nice and warm. But let me tell you, I, I you know, God, I, I remember those days. Go change the channel, Jared. I don't want a dad. I like what we're watching. I don't go change the channel. All right. <laughs> oh no, we had the knob that broke off, so there was this <laughs> random pair of needle nose pliers. Yep. <laughs> the needle no pliers and, sit next to the TV, just click, click, click. <laughs> and the older I get, the more people I find who know about the needle nose pliers. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> here I thought we were just poor as dirt growing up, but no, this was normal. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was definitely a norm back in the days. <laughs> so with the brokenness of the TV, it, 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 there was actually a brokenness that it had an effect on Atari, obviously. Um E.T. Is, is often actually cited as one of the most important video games out there just because it was one of the earliest video games that were based on a movie, um, but that the game uh, you know, was such poor quality from film to video game with a tie-in that it, it, it basically, you know, it was such a disaster. That but it, it set a new standard. Yeah, it set a new standard. It's like, okay, if we're going to do something... And we're going to try to make it, we're going to make it done right. Um, you know, even though the game was one of the worst movie games ever, and it was basically toted as with some of the citations here, there's a lot of just negativity that goes around with it. But I mean, when you have one of those beautiful disasters, you can really take away and do a lot of, do a lot of fun with it. You can go, okay, w- this is how we can improve. This is how we can be a company and improve. But even as early as January of 83, Atari did admit that the game was absolute garbage. It was trash. It sold very poorly. Uh, you know, an industry executive actually said that the lesson of E.T. has not been lost on the industry. And that's a direct quote. The lesson of E.T. has not been lost on the industry. Uh, the game was actually cited as one of the main causes of the video game industry crisis of the 1980, of 1983 just because of how fucking garbage it was. I mean, it's... I mean, poor critical reception and lack of proper marketing strategy, and I'm pulling this right out of my ass here because I'm reading it, basically it, it led to Atari losing about $563 million in 1983. And um, the company was actually being divided and sold up in 84 because of it. I mean, you take a look at it now, and this is just kind of one of those things here. On December 7th of 1982... Kazar announced that Atari's f- revenue forecast for 1982 was actually cut by 50%, uh, was, was cut from a 50% increase in 81 down to a 15% increase. And then once it had been announced that their stock went from $54 to $35 a share. Oh. It lost an estimated basically $1.3 billion in market value because of this. Oh, that is just painful. Yeah. It 
absolutely painful. So a very quick rash decision led to a lot of things. So now this is the part that I know that you were most interested in that we were actually talking about here. In September of 83, a, uh, the Almogordon Daily News of Almogordon, New Mexico, reported in a series of articles that between 10 and 20 semi-trailer truckloads of Atari boxages, boxes, cartridges, and systems from an Atari storehouse in El Paso were crushed and buried in a, land, in a landfill within the city. It was Atari's first dealings with the, um, with the landfill, which was chosen because no scavenging was allowed and its garbage was crushed and buried nightly. Atari officials and others gave differing reports of what was actually buried, but it was speculated that a lot of the unsold copies of E.T. were buried in this landfill, crushed and encased in cement. Uh, basically, the, the story of the cartridges was erroneously regarded by some as urban legend, with a lot of skeptics, including the guy who developed it, Warshaw, disregarding the official counts. In May, of 20, May 28th of 2013, the city itself actually commissioned an approved, uh, approved Fuel Industries, an Ottawa-based entertainment company, for six months of the landfill to actually create a do this documentary about it and excavate the burial site. On April 26th of 2014, remnants of E.T. and other Atari games were discovered in the early hours of the excavation. In December of 2014, the Smithsonian Institution added an, ex an excavated cartridge of E.T. to their collection, and in 2015, the Henry Ford Museum added several excavated cartridges and a video touchpad and a sample of the landfill dirt taken from the burial site and items of the clothing worn by the actual excavation team to their collection. So basically, it was rumored that a bunch of this stuff was thrown in the landfill. It fucking, you know, it was gone. No, 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 no. And then they were like, all right. And that's the documentary that I watched um, about them excavating everything. It's basically the story of E.T. So it goes from being an inception of a massively time crunch to, holy shit, this is a fucking disaster. They dump everything. And then they do the documentary and people find it. And it turned out to be true. Wow. So it's not the urban legend everybody says. It, they really did just dump them. They really, yep, they really did just dump it. They said this game fucking sucks. They decided that it needed a massive overhaul, and they decided, okay, we're gonna go ahead and just destroy everything. And that's what that's exactly they basically what they did. tried to. Yeah, they basically tried to bury their shame. <laughs> they didn't do. They did. They did very, very, very well in burying their shame. But it turns out that uh, you know. A couple of years later, we're going to dig it up and find it. And I highly, highly encourage everyone to watch this documentary here. Uh, let's see here. So the documentary's name itself. Um, okay. Hmm. I wonder. I forget what it's called. Oh, God. Okay. So Game Informer did an article on it. Uh, where they where they talk about the fabled excavation, and there's actually a link uh, that that I'm going to send you real fast here. Um, the books of faces, where you can actually see a gentleman holding up one of the. There you go. He's actually holding up one of the cartridges that was that was in there, and it's got some little clips of it. 
but yeah, so the, this company actually did a, a documentary. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you could just basically Google ET documentary, uh, ET Atari documentary. Is it actually on Netflix? Oh, you know, it doesn't state it here. Oh, um, Atari Game Over. That's the name of the documentary, Atari Game Over. Now, see, there's another, the, the link you had sent me. Mm -hmm. um, try looking up. It, it's got a thing about the co-author, Martin Goldberg, for Atari Inc. Business is Fun. No, I actually pulled um, it up here. Um, is that what it is? Yeah, I gotta mute that real fast. Um, yep, no, this is this is the one that I watched. This is definitely the the one that I watched. I see the photos here. It's unflipping believable. You know, the picture is taken from what I'm seeing here. It looks like 2014. They're saying it was exhumed 30 years after being dumped. This cartridge looks pretty darn good for having been sitting in a landfill for 30 flipping years. Yeah. It's actually on YouTube right now. So, I mean, you can literally just YouTube Atari game over and it'll pull up for you. I really hope that none of that audio got platted on there because I really don't want don't to get a copyright strike on that. But yeah, uh, so Game Informer did do an article where you can actually see it. But I mean, believe it or not, like um, I've actually I've actually uncovered some things, uh, you know, in in places. And like, I mean, you take a look at some of these GoldenEye games that have been sitting in mom and dad's you know, lockers or mom and dad's, you know, closets, these games, if, if they are well protected from the environment, like if you just take, I, I don't know if you, do you remember the Sega Genesis games? Oh yes. Where they were in that little plastic um, case and stuff like that. Yes. If it wasn't, if it wasn't officially crushed and you just threw it out in the landfill with that, with how the game cases used to close and lock and you hold the, have a game in that cartridge if it's buried under a bunch of stuff and it doesn't have a bunch of weather hitting it, you know, and you, you unbury it a couple of years later, it's going to be like it was sitting in your drawer for, for a couple of years. It's, it's going to be fine. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Now I want to go dig through a landfill. <laughs> <laughs> I, Come on, Jared, let's go see what we can find. No, I've, uh, <laughs> I actually, I, oh God, I remember the first couple of years that I was in my trailer park, I watched a couple of kids dumpster dive. Like, yeah, we see that often around where I'm at, um, especially when it's bolt day. You will see the little ladies in their vans going around at three, four o'clock in the morning. No, 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 no. Taking whatever bits of furniture and stuff you have sitting out on the side of the road. Six and 10 year olds dumpster diving. Jeez. Yeah. Although, when when I was a kid, which was eons ago, you were left responsible for coming up with your own pocket money. Like, we did not get allowance growing up. We still did the chores. We just didn't get allowance. So, collecting a uh, glass Coke bottle or, you know, soda cans and stuff like that. And, yeah, we, we would at 9, 10 years old. We would dumpster dive just to find aluminum cans and glass bottles <laughs> so we can take them down to the recycling center. I mean, that was that was how you made your 20 to $30 to get you through the weekend, which 90% of it was blown at the arcade. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, back back then, 20 or 30 bucks used to used to buy you an entire afternoon of, of gaming, whereas now 20 or 30 bucks gets you an hour or two maximum. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, again, I'm going to sound like such an old person back in my day. <laughs> but being handed $20 on a Friday, that would stretch all the way through till Sunday. In that time frame, me and my friends could have spent anywhere from four to five hours Saturday and Sunday at the arcade and still have had enough left over to be able to go and catch a movie Saturday night. Isn't... And that with all the munchies included. That's right, ladies and gents. You didn't always have to sneak your snacks in. I, uh, one time I went to a movie with a couple of my friends and it was right after work. And I was, cause my buddy, uh, Alex, who's been on this podcast many times, he used to, uh, get off of work half an hour before I did when he switched jobs. And I forget what movie we we're going to go watch. I wanted noodles and company for dinner. I had big old cargo pockets. I hid an oh. I shoved an entire noodles and company into my pocket, went through. I had this this hot dish of mac and cheese just burning at my thigh, walked into the theater, <laughs> op opened the thing, and one of my friends is like, Jared, you did not bring a noodles and company thing in here. And I'm like, I did. And I just started to eat my noodles and company for for dinner watching the movie. It was it was fucking amazing. <laughs> That's some dedication right there. You really wanted that mac and cheese. I wanted that mac and cheese for dinner. That sh that that made the movie. I totally forget what movie it was, but what what made it even better was it was just like me and me and the friends that were watching the movie. It was one of the few times that all of us used to be able to get together and go do something with each other. So that was pretty awesome. I miss those fuzzy memories. <laughs> I, I swear to God, it's like the old, like I remember just like a, even a couple of years ago, I could be like, hey, Brandon, let's go disc golfing. And then all of a sudden there'd be like four or five of us disc golfing and it'd be a, this massive fun thing that we could do. You know, I could call up my little brother, Yosh. I just be like, hey, Yosh, you want to come watch Avengers, you know, Infinity War with me and uh, me and the, the person I'm going to go see it with. Yeah, sure. And oh, I get to meet, you know, his, his girlfriend or whatever. And nowadays it's like, hey, man, what you doing? Oh, this weekend we got this, this weekend we got that, and everyone's getting married, everyone's going off, and it's like, damn. Everyone's busy. Yeah. Run, 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 run. And people... That's not... Yeah, that's a damn shame. I mean, it's it's amazing, because I've... Like, I'm the single dude of the group. I really am, because, well, that's why I do a lot of this. But, like, how fucking awesome is it that, like, every weekend I get to sit here and just be like, I didn't do jack shit, Alex. Uh, must be nice. Well, no, you and the wife can do jack shit too. You just have this thing called the wife and you plan to do all this stuff with her. <laughs> ah. oh, devastating, I, isn't it? A little bit. But then again, <laughs> then again, some weekends I'll be sitting here and I'm like, hey, bud, what are you doing? I'm going to go watch a movie with the wife. We're going to go out to dinner and this, that, and the third. And it's like, I want a wife to go to dinner with. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but... It uh So how'd you like the tale? You worth it? Wanna do it again sometime? Definitely. Alright. Well uh next week I will choose another another topic. Uh maybe not a video game, but maybe something of, of your choosing. I mean for those of you guys listening, obviously remember I am on Facebook, Parrot Gaming Productions, just hit that up or you know, just Google Parrot Gaming Productions. I pull up on all major platforms. Drop me a link on what you maybe want to hear, or maybe I'll throw another poll up and we'll see what we got. Uh, Tara, I appreciate you joining me here again. I'm sorry I'm going to cut it uh, kind of short here, but we're almost at that hour mark. And I still have to eat dinner tonight, so thank you for joining me tonight. Yep, no problem. 
All right, so uh, remember, everybody, stay safe. I love your faces. Continue to be good. Flatten that curve. Keep that curve flat. And I know a lot of states are opening back up. Resist the urge to go out and do garbage things. Stay safe. Love your faces, everyone. Later. (laughs) 